Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. It's good to see everybody here, and welcome. If this is your first time to the Vineyard, we're glad you're here. And uh, today is the beginning of what we call Advent. That is the arrival, the appearing of someone very special. And uh, this season, for the next four Sundays, we're going to be taking a look at this wonderful story, the story of uh, Christ coming to earth, of God coming to earth in the flesh. Uh, I used to work many, many years ago, but I worked for a utility company, and uh, it was a water and sewer utility company, and we had these giant, like, pumps that were underground, so you had to climb down these stairs down a couple of stories down into the ground, and then there was a tube, and it was very claustrophobic, and you had to go down, and you'd go through this tube to where the equipment was to work on it, and I had an engineer that came to look at a piece of equipment one time, and uh, so I had to go down in there to take him to this equipment, and... uh, this company was growing really quickly at the time, and they were hiring a lot of people, especially in uh, the supervisor positions of, of different roles and all there at the utility company. And one of the guys they had just hired was a master chief. Now, I don't know if we have any master chiefs in here. Anybody uh, retire from, like, the service, like an E8 or E9? Anyway, if you have ever worked with a master chief, it is a joy. It is also, you're going to get some work done. And with this master chief... He was a very big man. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he wasn't real light on his feet. He was a big man. And so I climbed down, and I was inside this tube with this engineer, and I hear this clanking of boots coming down the stairs, you know. And I looked back down the tube, and I saw Chief. I saw him bending, <laughs> walking like this, making his way over to where we were. And I said, Chief, what in the world are you doing down here? And he responded, my people won't know I care if I don't come down myself. Today is Advent, the beginning of Advent, when we celebrate God coming to earth in Jesus Christ. This is so much more important, and it's so much more than about a baby. I mean, this is like the best news that the earth has ever received. I read a quote by Brad Pitt, who I like. He's a good actor. But Brad Pitt, uh, where he said, I don't think anyone knows if there's a God. You'll find out or not when you get there. Until then, no point thinking about it. Well, the Advent is all about letting us know whether there is a God or not. And if there is a God, what is he like? This is the season we're in when we get to see what God is like. Um, anytime you begin to talk about Jesus in this very special way in our culture today, people can get quite nervous because I know you've had friends, or maybe this is where you are. You would say, wait a minute, you aren't saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven, are you? I, we, I talked with someone yesterday about this. I mean, you're not saying you know, that the, all the other religions of the world don't have something to say about this. You're not saying that 
Christianity alone holds the key to getting to God. You're not saying that because if you would say that, if you're saying that, then what you're saying is all these other people are wrong. And how arrogant and pompous is that for you to say that? How could you say that? What's so special about your God that's more special than my God or someone else's God? You've got a fill-in in your handout if you want to follow along with me and a pen. And uh, the first fill-in there is this, that Advent is about the uniqueness of Christ. Advent is about the uniqueness of Christ. This whole season <clears throat> excuse me, that we're in, it's not about a little baby. It's about God come to earth. In Jesus Christ. Yes, he's humbled himself and come as a human being. But it's so much more. There is this very special thing that's going on in Jesus coming to earth. And I mean, you may even hear when we talk about things like this. And I love conversations around the uniqueness of Christ. But you'll hear things like, well, you know, if you Christians would just admit that other people's religions are just as valid as yours, then maybe we would have a shot at world peace. Maybe things, maybe we would get along a little bit better if you didn't think that, you know, Jesus was the only way in all of this. It would be a more peaceful place. And it's kind of like if you, if you ask the question, is Jesus God? That's like the wrong question because in that question is, a, is assumed that you know what God is like. If you ask that, is Jesus God, then you have some idea of what God is like. And now what you want to do is take Jesus and press him into your God picture. What God is like. Maybe the question should be, if Jesus is God, maybe Jesus can show us who he is. Who God is like. And so I think it's good for us to ask that. If I, if, if I say, you know, is Jesus God, then I already have a preconceived idea. And if Jesus doesn't line up with that idea, then I will discount who, what Jesus says about himself and what he says about God. And the uniqueness of Christ, it doesn't mean that we Christians are always unique in every little thing in life, you know. Uh, let's admit that we Christians, we can be kind of arrogant and uh, obnoxious. At times, just like a non-Christian can, right? Sometimes we can be fairly arrogant and obnoxious about our faith. And um, you, we especially are kind of foul when we begin to argue with people about things we don't know much about. And then we get in trouble with our conversations and we don't honor and respect the person and we've lost them as a as maybe, you know, someone that would listen to what we have to say. We're not so unique, we Christians, when it comes to art, when it comes to contributing to the world. We're not the only ones that contribute to the world as far as being a blessing. And sometimes it's good for us to, be, to remember this. I mean, there are people like Leonard Bernstein. Now, I'm going to show my age with some of these and some of my, my uh, taste. But uh, Leonard Bernstein, fantastic conductor, composer, uh, you know, a Jewish man and who wrote West Side Story, the music, the score to it, which I was raised listening to. My mom played that record over and over and over. And then when I got 17, I, I got to play the whole score in the orchestra myself. And he wrote the music. And so I came to love it and appreciate 
how God works his art through all kinds of people. The ancients called the Imago Dei, the image of God resides in everyone, and we see that image of God, that creativity of God sometimes popping out all over the place. And people like Itzhak Perlman, you I mean, I know you've seen Schindler's List, and you know that haunting violin solo that's through that movie? That's Itzhak Perlman playing through all of that. Great art has come out of people from other religions. People like George Harrison. There's my generation, you know. George Harrison, I mean, who was a Hindu. Bob Dylan, who nobody can figure out what he is. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Bob... You know, his last name's Zimmerman. He was a, he's a Jew, but uh, he was in the vineyard for a few years and went to vineyard Bible studies, went to the vineyard school of ministry. Uh, the pastors tell me that he was the best at memorizing scripture of anybody they've ever had in the school, that when he came, when he showed up for class, he knew every Bible verse and could give a report and could just speak it. And uh, then he goes off to rabbinical school, <laughs> you know, a few years later. You ask him what he is, he just, He's a, funny, he's a funny dude, but up to two, 2009, he did a Christmas album, and he sang a little town of Bethlehem in it, and uh, the interviewer asked him, they said, Bob, you, you sing that song like a true believer, and Bob said, I am a true believer. So who knows where Bob is, but he's put out great songs. He changed the world with his, with his music. Uh, Steven Spielberg, I mean, Jewish guy, Jaws, director, done so much good work, Harrison Ford, Buddhist, I mean, you know, all the acting, the wonderful acting he's done. Leonard Cohen, who has, you know, written tremendous poems, Jewish man, and, uh, or excuse me, Buddhist. Herbie Hancock, if you like jazz, you know who Herbie Hancock is. He played with Miles Davis and just a tremendous musician. He's a Buddhist as well. And George Lucas, who, who could not, um, thank you, George, for Star Wars and, you know. Uh, George Lucas, who calls himself a Buddhist Methodist, you know, <laughs> he's a little confused. But, but art, good art comes out of all people. And we Christians, it's a humbling thing for us. We have to take somewhat of a humble posture when we begin to talk about the, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Because when it comes to us as human beings and what we contribute to the world, we're not that unique. There are so many wonderful artists and people who contribute uh, to this world and to us enjoying music and art. And so the Imago Dei is alive and well in, in everyone. And so there's this humility. But when it comes to Christ, there is a uniqueness. Very unique. And we should not let all of what I've just talked about hinder us from talking to people about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ of who he was and who he is. And we should challenge the claim that Christianity is just another religion because it isn't just another religion. There is not one faith that has a Savior like we do. Not one. There were something like 10 or 12 different Jewish leaders that popped up within the first few years of Christ uh, when he was crucified in his resurrection. 10 or 12 of them. Do you know that every single one of them were killed. They're gone. They have no followers. But Jesus, who was in the midst of all of those 10 or 12 other people that were coming up during that period of time, Jesus and his followers began at his resurrection, and it has not ended. All the rest of them are dead. 
All the rest of them you could go to their graves. Here's another interesting thing. We don't go to Jesus' grave and worship there because he's alive. The, the uniqueness of Christ is something we have to engage with because there's a lot at stake in the advent. The coming of Christ is, just reminds us of this during this period of time. Uh, and I think you know, Brad Pitt, not believing or not thinking you can know whether God is real or there's a heaven or not, I think the advent just breaks open into all of the world to say, yes, heaven is very real and it's come to earth in Jesus Christ. Here it is. And so uh, the Advent is all about knowing. It's about knowing something very important. It's the arrival of someone very special, of God himself. I mean, when someone asks us, well, why don't you just let everybody, you know, your belief is no better than anyone else's. I mean, what kind of God wouldn't care what you believe? I mean, what kind, of God would, what kind of God is that? What kind of God doesn't care what you choose? And what kind of God would say, you take your own road to me, but I think I'll send my only son down to earth to be brutalized, murdered, and killed, and hung on a cross. But if you just want to be a good person and make it to me, you can go that way. If you want to go this way, you can go this way. Why would God send his only son to die a brutal death if any old way to him would work? I mean, you're reasonable people. I think I got the smartest church in the world. You think through things. You reason through things. It's not reasonable that God would do that. Why would God not care how you got to him? Leslie Newbigin, a Christian missionary to India, who went back to England and became an evangelist there, a missionary there, said this about what we're talking about this morning, about the Advent, about Jesus. If, in fact, it is true that Almighty God, creator and sustainer of all that exists in heaven and on earth, has at a known time and place in human history so humbled himself as to become part of sinful humanity and to suffer and die a shameful death to take away our sin and to rise from the dead as the first fruit of a new creation, if this is a fact, then to affirm it is not arrogant. To remain quiet about it is treason to our fellow human beings. If it is really true as it is that the Son of God loves me and gave himself up for me, how can I agree that this amazing act of matchless grace should merely become part of a syllabus for the comparative study of religions? Wow. Jesus Christ is unique. One and only in this season of the year, we are reminded of that. Advent. Famous preacher John Stott said, You cannot call Jesus the Great, comparable to Alexander the Great, Charles the Great, or Peter the Great. Jesus is not the Great. He is the only. He has no peers, no rivals, no successors. None. And J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings writer, who wrote some pretty fabulous stuff, right? I mean, wouldn't you call Tolkien a pretty good writer? Smart guy? I mean, if you've read his books, there's another Hobbit movie out now, you know, just coming out, I think, this week and all. But Tolkien said this about the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. The incarnation of God is an infinitely greater thing than anything I would dare to write. <laughs> Man. We are talking about something that changes 
the world. It changes everything. So we're going to be over in John, the Gospel of John in your Bible, in the first chapter, probably one of the most important and theologically rich chapters in all of, Bible, of the Bible. John 1, and we'll, we'll start at verse 14 and read down to verse 18. So if you've got your app or got your Bible, let's read it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him, John the Baptist. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace, already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Father, I ask blessing on your word today. I ask that you would come be with us as we celebrate this season of Advent, of you coming to earth and becoming part of humanity, Lord, in order to redeem and rescue us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and move in our hearts. Help me, Lord, bring your word alive, and we welcome you, presence of God, here this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Most Jews, as uh, this is the Bible background commentary, said this about Jesus coming in the uh, God coming in the flesh. Most Jews so heavily emphasized that a human being could not become a God that they never considered that God might become a human. Uh, man, nobody was expecting this that God would come to Earth in flesh, and that's what incarnate means. It's Latin. It's in the flesh. God incarnate. God in the flesh. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We read that, the Word, and we go, what, is, what do you mean the Word? How can the Word become flesh? Well, God likes to communicate, right? God loves to communicate with His creation. In the past, He's communicated through the prophets. He's communicated through the Old Testament scriptures, the tablets, and all of that. So Jesus, having been with God for eternity, is God's conversation with the earth. The Word, Jesus, is coming to dwell among us. God is going to speak to us through His Son. Before He spoke in the mountaintop with the prophets, and He spoke through the tablets, and He spoke that way. But in Jesus, the communication of God has come to dwell among us. Man, how could this God, how could this happen? The Word became flesh. That is, God is intent on communicating with you. God is intent on getting His message to you. So much so, He comes down Himself. The Word made His dwelling among us. Now, this is kind of an Old Testament phrase. His dwelling among us literally means tabernacled among us. He came and He set up camp among humanity in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Moses, what, in the desert... In the wilderness, he had a tent set up, the tent of meeting. It's where God was. It's where Moses, the leaders, would go to meet with God, right? It was outside the camp. 
Now John is telling us that God has come to earth in Jesus Christ and the tabernacle is now living among us. The presence of God has come speaking to us. It's Jesus and he's living among us. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Man, I mean, the fact that God Almighty, our creator, would come down to earth and say, I'm going to live among you, and from now on, you're going to hear me through my son. You're going to be able to have conversation with me. He's going to live with you, speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit, and dwell. This is among you, tabernacle. Set up a tent among you. What kind of God does that? What kind of God does this? What kind of God puts himself on the line like that for, the, for his creation. If any old way would do, why would God go through all of this? Why would he do it? Why? God has chosen to dwell amongst his people in a yet more personal way in the word become flesh, D.A. Carson says. Man, Jesus is the visible manifestation of God. The word was written on stone tablets with Moses. You saw the movie. You remember that? Right? It's in here too, by the way. And, uh, you know, God communicated through the tablets. But now God says, I'm going to make it much more personal. I'm going to come down myself and I'm going to speak to you personally and dwell among you. So, man, there's some good stuff going on. And he says, we have seen his glory. In verse 14, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is glory? We don't use that word much in our vocabulary. Uh, we have seen His glory. Glory means God's goodness. We have seen His goodness. When you look at Jesus Christ, you see the pinnacle of God's goodness to you. Remember Moses in the Old Testament? Moses said, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see your glory. And God was like, well, if you see me, you're going to die because, I mean, I'm just that good, you know. I'm just going to, poof, be gone. But, you know, you can look as you go, as I go past, maybe you can get a little glimpse of my goodness, of my glory. And now, though, in Jesus Christ, the glory of God is being revealed in Christ. The glory, the glory of God. Incarnate, incarnate in Latin, in the flesh. And think about this. Jesus has come as a man, but he's fully God. So God has come to earth and wrapped himself in all of the frailty, all of the weakness, all of the limitations. He experienced hunger, loneliness, pain, rejection, doubt, all of these things. He experienced, he came and he, you don't have a Lord. If Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you don't have a Lord who cannot empathize with you because he has lived it. He has come to earth. That's another thing about, you know, the incarnation is what kind of God would do that? What kind of God would put himself and contain himself and limit himself to this frail vessel? He did that because he loves you. And he's speaking to you through Christ, his word to you of how much he loves you and the power of redemption to save you, to call you to himself. The Jews rejected this whole idea of, as I mentioned earlier, that God would assume 
some human flesh. The Muslims don't get that. Uh, Islam does not get that and especially doesn't get the fact that God could be crucified on a cross. Christianity is totally unique to this. The Buddhists don't get this. Buddhism was basically, it's been a long time since I studied Buddhism. I remember a little bit. Back before I was a Christian, I, I looked at it really deeply. But, you know, it was like five or six hundred years after Buddha's death that they basically deified him. It took about 600 years for, for Buddhists to begin to talk about Buddha as almost a god. But Jesus, from the very beginning, people called him Lord. He was the one and only, from the beginning, Lord. Uh, during Jesus' time, the, you know, there were 10 or 12 people who, who rose up at the same time proclaiming to be messiahs. And each one of them were killed, gone. And each one of their followings of their groups fell apart. Each one of them, you can go to their grave. In Christianity, this thing has not stopped from day one. You realize that? For over 2,000 years, from the beginning that Christ came to now, it's just been building momentum, building momentum. We don't go and worship at a tomb because he's not there. He's not there. And from the very beginning, from Mary Magdalene, from those folks at the tomb, seeing that he was not there, and he turned around and saw him from that day on, Christianity and the following of Jesus Christ has just picked up speed as the kingdom has continued to come to earth in Christ through his church. This is all a whole different ballgame here with Christ. And wherever you are in your seeking and in your searching, I want you to know that. That when we look at Christ, it's a whole different thing. It's not some comparative religion. Pick it out. I like this one. Like I did at one time. Zoroastrianism. That's supposed to be the oldest religion. It must be the best. I'll take it. And took it until I came in contact with Jesus. And then went, oh, I get it. I get it. The Hindus, they have multiple avatars, what they call descents. You know, Vishnu can you know, express himself in different avatars and all. But they have no savior. They have no son of God, Jesus. Christianity is very different than all other religions of the world in history. And we Christians, we firmly believe that the incarnation, that is that Jesus, that God came in Jesus to this earth and died a death for us, was raised on the third day and sits back at the right hand of the Father. Now, we believe the incarnation happened just as much as the Revolutionary War happened. It is a historical fact that Jesus came. And if he did, friends, it changes everything. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God's goodness comes in Christ to save us. The one and only Son, unique. If, God, if Jesus was not God, then what good was his death? He was just another one of those 10 or 12 that were around during his lifetime. He was just another one of those if he wasn't God. One theologian says it this way, If the nails that went through the hands of Christ did not go through the hands of God, then we have no demonstration of God's love. 
our God entered our world. And he entered it in Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. John mentions grace four times right here in this section of Scripture. But here's what's interesting. He mentions it four times here, and he never mentions grace again in his book. Now, some of the other Gospels did. But grace and truth, he mentions truth 25 more times in the book of John and 20 times in his little books, 1, 2, and 3, John. What is John getting at by emphasizing truth? He wants us to know it's true. (laughs) This is truth, and John is trying to grab his audience and say, it's truth, it's truth, it's truth. And this grace that's poured out, you know, there is grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus is on a mission, a mission to bring the truth to us because the truth of Christ will set us free. It liberates us to be restored to our creator, to be redeemed from our sins, our fallenness, our brokenness, and set in right standing with our creator with a hope for the future. John goes on to mention John the Baptist and foretold that Jesus would come as well. He says, like John came and said he was going to come, but Jesus is greater because he existed before John the Baptist. Jesus has always existed in the Godhead as a son. But he came to earth taking on this body, this flesh, Jesus. There were a lot of guys named Jesus. It's about as common as the name Joe back then, you know. And there were a lot of Jesuses, but this Jesus was the one and only unique Son of God. Moses brought the law, which was good. It was good, but all it did was point out our need for a Savior because we just couldn't live up to it. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. I'm trying, God, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I get tripped up all the time. What is wrong with me? I want to do right, I want to do good. What is wrong? And sometimes I don't want to do right, right? You know, you don't want to do right all the time. You know, there's something wrong inside. There's something really wrong inside. And with Jesus coming, there's a way out. He says Jesus existed for all time, but now he's come incarnate in the flesh to earth. He says grace upon grace. I love that saying. In Jesus, there is grace upon grace. And this wording carries with it this picture. Here's another beach metaphor, folks. See, the Bible loves us at the beach. Gives us so many metaphors. But this, the words here in this phrase, are, it, it describes a wave that rolls up on the beach and goes back and another wave comes in, rolls up on the beach and goes back. Grace rolls into our life through Jesus, back. Another wave of grace rolls into our life and back. And the waves just keep coming. The grace of God just keeps coming in Jesus and keeps coming and it keeps coming and it rolls over us. Grace upon grace. And... Uh, John finishes the text today in verse 18 with the statement that no one has seen God except the one and only. There it is again. The one and only, the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Jesus is as close to the Father as you can get. And if you want to see what Jesus looks like or what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Tell me, we did this in the first service, and I, I went a little long, but uh, I want to try this for three or four. Tell me something that you like about Jesus, some story you read that you, maybe you heard of about Jesus. Anybody want to speak it out? Something you like about Jesus. 
Walked on water, so he does the miraculous. He has powers. That was God walking on the water. That was God. Compassion. When you see Jesus show compassion to broken people, people in need, what you saw was God Almighty, the Father, showing compassion. Something else. Forgiveness. Well, Jesus, I know you'll forgive me, but God, I don't know if he will. Nah. When you see Jesus... You see the Father. That's what we're being told. He forgives. He's a Father of forgiveness. Who else? What else? Wisdom. Jesus showed a lot of wisdom. God has the wisdom. What else? Some other things Jesus did that you love. Healing. Yes. Hope. Healing. This is the Father, people. This is the Father. If you want to, I don't know what God's like. Read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read the Gospels and you will see what the Father God is like. Read it. And that's who He is. God incarnate in the flesh. He has made Him known at the end of this chapter. God has, Jesus has made Him known. That's a word that preachers love. It's exegesis, basically. It means that, you know, there's a clearing up. I like, this is my own definition of kind of like pulling the curtains back. Like you hear sounds and you may get a glimpse of something behind the curtain, but you can't quite tell what it means. Well, Jesus exegetes. He pulls the curtain back so that you can see what God is like. So if you want to see what your creator is like, get to know Jesus. Because he has come to earth. He is revealing himself. God the Father is in Jesus Christ. It just doesn't get any better than that. That you can know your creator. That he can come into your life, forgive your sins, wipe them away, and come and reside in your heart through his Holy Spirit. And the word can begin to speak to you. This world will come alive to you. Your last fill in there is this. So what do we do with this? You know, we're not unique in some things. We're all human as far as the church goes. But there is a uniqueness to this call. Advent is about the uniqueness of our call. Because Jesus came to this earth, because he came and he lived a perfect life, suffered, was brutalized, murdered, killed, put on that cross, paid for our sins, because of that, there has now been put out to the world a very unique call. The call is to come and follow him. Luke 5.32, Jesus said this. He said, I have not come to call the righteous. I've not come to call those who think everything's okay. I have come to call sinners to repentance. Is there any other sinner in the room today? Any other sinner in here? Uh, you know, I mean, am I in the right place? I'm just like, well, yeah, there's, there's a call to us. Through Jesus Christ, there is a call for us to come. A very unique call. It's unique to Jesus over all the other world's religions. The call is to come and follow me. Come and I will forgive you. Come, I will just begin my healing. Come and find out why you were created. And then come and join me in my mission. Because now the church has been given that mission of reconciliation. And I want to say this to my fellow church members here. You know, we have been called to kind of live an incarnate life before our communities. I mean, we are supposed to live together in such a way 
that people can look at the church and go, what in the world is going on there? How can those people live together and, and do life together? They're so different. I mean, it's one thing, isn't it? If We all like to buddy up with people we have things in common with. I could talk for hours about music. I can talk hours about surfing, you know, or some book I'm reading or something. I can sit down and talk, talk. You can do the same. You can sit down with someone that you have much in common with and just spend hours. But the church is supposed to be differently because we we carry something so unique that it levels the field for all of us to come together. That is, there should be multiple ethnicities in his church. There should be like all types of people in his church. And it's the love of Christ that brings us together as we exegete that for the earth now and the world. They see the love of God in us. Look at 1 John 4, 11 through 12. Dear friends, same John wrote this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But look, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, nobody can see God unless the church lives in such a way that the world will see God in it. That's what we're called to. This Advent, as we launch this Advent, as we go into this, I want to challenge you, church. Let's recommit ourselves to this. We work through our differences. We settle things with each other. We do the hard work of reconciliation and redemption with each other. We not only are the redeemed community, but we become the redeeming community. We redeem one another. We stick it out with one another. We forgive one another. We have the hard conversations, but we will not let go of one another because Christ is in our heart. And he has called us to redemption. People should look at us and say, look how different these people are in a good way. <laughs> you know, in a good way. Like, look how they love. Look how different they all are. But yet they, they enjoy being with each other. They pray for one another. They share with one another. Man, what's going on with that group of people? Hudson Taylor, in the 19th century, a missionary to China, uh, when he went over to do his missions work, the missionaries had set up this village with a fence around it and to try to keep them safe from any harm. They ate their own food. They wore their own types of clothes. And well, when Hudson Taylor got there, he looked out over the walls of that compound and he thought, this is not the incarnation. So Hudson Taylor packed up all of his belongings, left the coast where it was safe to be with his kind, and he went straight inland to China where he found a village to live with the people of China, where he let his hair grow out and he braided it as the Chinese would, where he ate their food and where he got to know the village people and he took a job up working with them so they could see that he cared. He lived an incarnational life. We are called to do this in the Grand Strand right here. All of you have your spheres of influence. Every one of you do and you're going to go back into them tomorrow morning. Are you living an incarnational life in the midst of your groups? Is the Advent alive in your life there? Hudson Taylor was just mirroring what Christ did. He went to where the people were that needed to hear about it. In 1944, the Scottish theologian, a man named Tom Torrance, was serving in the British Army. And he was serving as a litter baron. 
They went into this town in Italy where there had been a, just a brutal battle. Lots of people killed. And as he was walking through, he heard the moans and the groans of a young private, Phillips, who was laying in a ditch, mortally wounded. Phillips was only 20 years old, and Torrance went over to him. And the young man looked up at Torrance and asked this. He said, Father, is God really like Jesus? And Torrance says this in his memoirs. I assured him that he was. The only God that there is, the God who came to us in Jesus, showed his face to us, and poured out his love to us, is exactly like Jesus, our Savior. Torrance said that Phillips, once he heard that, looked up at him and said, I'm ready to die. Torrance later wrote, As I prayed and commended him to the Lord Jesus, he passed away. This incident left an indelible impression on me. I kept wondering afterwards what the churches have done to drive some kind of a wedge between God and Jesus. There is no hidden God, no God that Jesus didn't disclose, but only the one Lord God who became incarnate in Christ. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.